All right. Well, uh, clearly they saved the, the best for last, which is great. Um, afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Michael Carney. I'm a partner here at Upfront, and I'm here with a woman who I, I think needs no introduction, uh, Kirsten Green of Foreigner Ventures, um, one of the you know, most successful emerging uh, VC funds over the last 10 years. I'm, I'd be shocked if anyone in the, in, the, uh, in the room is not familiar with her work, but we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about um, how Foreigner came to be and what the, the vision was early on, uh, how that has evolved over time, and, and what Foreigner looks like uh, going forward. So, Thank um, you for the nice yeah. introduction, Michael. It's kind. So I, I do want to go back in time and, and, and I guess start at the beginning or even before the beginning of Forerunner. Um, you know, I think it's fairly well known that your career early on was on Wall Street. First you were on the, uh, on the sell side, then you were yep. on the buy side. I've heard you describe it as you covered teen retail stocks. I did cover teen retail And uh, that meant you spent a lot of time thinking about how consumers buy, what consumers buy, yep. you know, spending time in malls and so forth, which strikes me as a, a good background for a consumer investor, obviously. But I'm curious, when you decided to leave that world, what was the insight? Why did you think it was time to start looking at early stage disruptors in commerce? When um, my public market career really spanned almost 10 years, and it mapped pretty closely to a cycle. So at the beginning, it was, um, you know, I, I did cover retail stocks specifically. I moved later on into consumer more broadly defined. But in retail in particular, the growth cycle was fueled by the mall um, and by teens having a place to congregate and spend money. And it turns out if you give, you know, teens $20 and drop them off at the mall, that that is a lot of money getting spent. And they will spend it all. Yeah. And um, on, on, the, on the backs of that opportunity, um, a whole generation of new stores cropped up to take advantage of that new customer and of the real estate play. And so there was this time period where it was about growth and it was about new concepts and new models and following that path. And being an investor at that time, um, I really fell in love with investing. I had a chance to kind of appreciate the qualitative and the quantitative marrying up. Um, and that's when I started spending time in the malls and getting to know the customer and everything. And um, cycles play out. And during the time of the growth in the mall, technology was also becoming something that was more prevalent. Um, Amazon was born at the kind of midpoint of that cycle, um, eBay as well. And um, after the dot-com crash and a little bit of a weaker consumer, the conversation really changed. And it went to, oh, technology is going to take over everything. Um, buying online is so much better. There'll never be another store. And um, you know, I don't know whether people believe that or not, but it was enough to get people to think differently about investing. And so it went from a growth mindset to kind of a, you know, how can we either get operational efficiencies or squeeze out costs in our business. And as an investor who really kind of fell in love with investing, you know, really lit up when you could bring the qualitative side in, that wasn't as interesting and as exciting. And I think, um, you know, my only big observation at that point was one cycle had played out and cycles are cycles. There will be another cycle starting and um, I would like to play a role in that. And so before you went out and, and launched a firm, I know you spent a lot of time uh, with founders uh, as an advisor, as a consultant, as an angel investor. All um, kinds of odd jobs. <laughs> when, when you were, and this was you know, 2010 maybe timeframe approximately? Yeah. What, what were the, the trends that you um, got most excited about then? Because I, I believe you invested in things like Warby Parker in that era before Forerunner even existed. I did. And so there was a little bit of a precursor to- What were of... you seeing in the market about the rise of consumer brands, about what it took to succeed online versus offline? How did you kind of pick out those early investments, which were ultimately so very successful? So when I first quit my job, thinking I would you know, try to find a way to play in the next generation of retail companies. 
I sort of thought they were right around the corner. Um, and if somebody had told me it would be six or seven years before I felt something, you know, found something that I felt was truly compelling and lined up with a good investment thesis, I, I might have done a whole lot of other things. But along the way, um, you know, I had a chance to kind of learn more about investing from various different perspectives, either private equity or venture, and meet a lot of different entrepreneurs. And the first group of people I met were, maybe they were building good businesses, but they weren't really different than the last generation. And I think I was really had my heart set on somebody doing something transformative. And somewhere there being an intersection with technology. And people were still you know, coming up with a retail concept, but it wasn't really considering the change that was happening on the technology side until several years into that journey. Um, when I did start to kind of meet a few people who were thinking about how do we leverage technology to create a really the best customer experience. The customer experience that the consumer we want to meet today, that consumer has evolved. And what was being served up in the malls or just in a store was no longer satisfactory to them. They wanted something that had kind of was, was more you know, understood the way they move today, which meant kind of meeting them in digital channels, um, thinking about service that way. It didn't mean not doing it in store. That was never not of the idea, but there was really this opportunity to at least launch um, digitally. And so when you decided to kind of coalesce all this learning and, and excitement about the category and kind of go pro and, and build a firm uh, to institutionalize investing, what was your vision for, for what Forerunner would be in those early days? Did you view it as a, a specialist firm? Were you a retail or commerce specialist firm? And did you pitch it that way? Did you think about yourself that way? I mean, this all started with me just really wanting to invest and being really passionate that there was an opportunity. And along the way, while I was you know, really thinking of my job as being a student of investing as much as anything while I was working alongside other people, getting closer and closer to my own idea of what would it would mean to be a good partner, what I would look for in a founder, how I would think about building businesses or scaling businesses. And I think through that path, I got greater and greater conviction on kind of what my version of that would be. That was happening at the same time that, you know, as we've talked about earlier today and, and Josh was talking about, um, you know, there was this rise of the micro VC firms. And I kind of, you know, while I was new to the venture ecosystem, I was looking around and wondering whether the landscape would change. Um, and, and maybe as somebody who was thinking about kind of really making this moment to be serious about their career and their move, maybe there was a way to think differently about it. And um, I, you know, at that point in time, the good news was there was not so many people. There was a relatively small group of people and you could build a relationship with them. And I learned a lot from those people through conversations, um, that first generation of kind of new firms that emerged. And I think, you know, through all, the combination of all of that, built conviction to enter the market. And an idea, I mean, originally the thought was, the, the vision has always been to be a good early stage investment firm, to be hopefully a best in class investment firm. But even at that moment in time, when the landscape wasn't as crowded as today, it was still, there was, there was still plenty of options for entrepreneurs. And I really wanted to think about what did the market need? What was the market missing? Or what could I do differently? Why would somebody new on the scene make a statement and anyone want to, have us on their cap table. And so this idea of leveraging an expertise or a particular area was as much of a go-to-market theory as anything. I think the idea of being like thematically oriented investors and research-oriented investors has something I've carried through with me for my career and is at the heart of what Forerunner is, but it was a go-to-market effort too. 
And so in those early days, uh, your first fund was 2012. Uh, it was a $40 million fund, and it was just you and Yuri, correct? Yeah. How did you and Yuri meet, and how did you decide uh, that you, know, you guys wanted to team up? And, and frankly, how did you decide you wanted to start a firm rather than join an existing firm? Um, so a little bit what I was just talking about, just in terms of like knowing that this was the moment that I wanted to make a mark in my career and find a place where I could really spend the rest of my career and make the most of it and, um, and, and just gaining enough conviction that there was an opportunity to build something um, new and different and, and participate in the market that way. Um, and when I had, and right before I uh, raised an institutional fund, I had an angel fund. And at that point, I was still, you know, really big time on anything I could do to help an entrepreneur. I'm, I still am anything you can do to help an entrepreneur. But I was doing everything I could to prove myself. And I was kind of probably bending over backwards. And people kept saying to me, you need someone else to help you on this journey. And I said, yeah, I would love to have a partner, but I can't afford a partner right now. Um, and so, um, but I, I had hopes that I would be in a position one day too. And so I started meeting people and, um, and, and thinking about like who would be a good complement or how would I go about building a team. I think at th this point, I thought less about having a, a partner, but more about having somebody join on board. And after probably meeting 15, 20 people, I met Yuri, um, who is uh, has been you know, at Forerunner since the beginning and is a, a partner with me now. And um, I sort of instantly n knew that Yuri was really special. It was kind of a little bit like how you feel about founders that you back as an investor. And so I, when I went to raise the fund, I got the term sheet, called my parents. I called Yuri <laughs> and asked her if she wanted to come join me. And, yeah. and so when you made that leap from angel investing and, and investing through SPVs for each deal um, and having, you know, frankly had to raise the money to do those deals to having a fund, how did your process change? How did you look at, at the deals you wanted to do differently? Um, what, were the, what was an early forerunner deal kind of? Uh, what was the box? Yeah, the box really hasn't changed very much, and I think that um, I, I took my angel fund really very seriously as an opportunity to demonstrate how I would put together and curate a portfolio, and so was always thinking about what's the investment thesis in a particular company, um, putting an investment memo together, you know, doing all of that stuff from the earliest days. But really what we've been trying to do is, you know, think about where is the landscape changing, holding the customer at the center and thinking about how our lives, all of our lives have continued to change and evolve, how we're thinking differently about spending our money, spending our time, what a great experience is. And in the context of that, how that might reshape or um, inform new businesses and new opportunities that were needed. And kind of tying that back to like the retail sector specifically where I'd spent a lot of time investing before, I thought about this like like new consumer what they wanted and how much change that would beg from a product-oriented company that was going to go from a wholesale to a direct-to-consumer company for a retail that was going to have to redefine what their role was in the ecosystem and get stronger on the service side and then all the businesses that would need to be built to kind of serve at the back end of those businesses and so um, you know we thought about kind of putting a thesis approach um, kind of underneath everything we were looking at and then you know really early days when you're um, partnering with a company, it is so much about the founder. Um, and you know, trying to have an idea around what are some of the traits and the commonalities you look for. And you know, we, we have a, a couple of things that we sort of um, hold as like North Star traits. And um, one of them is you know, having somebody who has a vision, who's really thinking differently about the future, who kind of you know, has an idea, has, has their own unique idea about where the ball is moving forward and how the shifts are happening and how they're going to lead the way for a new generation of business. Um, at the same time, somebody needs to be disciplined, you know, and so try to understand, like, does this person have the ability to kind of 
um, pick priorities and put one foot in front of the other and really start to put some milestones and some metrics on the board? Um, and then is the person like compelling and magnetic? Will they be able to attract resources to the company? Which is, you know, all three of these are important and I don't want to say one is more important than another, but when you think about it, you start, you're one person, two people, or three people starting a company, you're having a first investor conversation, you're going to have so many hundreds of investor conversations along the way. Um, really importantly, probably more importantly than how you pick your investors, are your teammates. Who are you going to attract to your company? The hardest thing about building a company is building a great team. And today, in this job market, it's extraordinarily hard. So is the vision compelling? Is it something that people are going to want to get on board for and be part of? And is the founder building confidence towards that? Um, so, you know, look yeah. for those package. And so you just kind of address a little bit, uh, you guys invest at the seed stage, you know, it's kind of the messiest stage of company building, of, of figuring out what that team looks like, what the culture is, product market fit. Um, what, where do you guys tend to spend the most time and kind of lean in the most, the most heavily in terms of supporting companies along that journey? Like what are the resources that Forerunner brings to bear? What, what have you thought about, you, you touched on earlier, your kind of unique expertise that you can offer? So I think that, you know, one of the things I like about venture is that it's a business that forces you to, like, keep learning, keep changing, and keep growing. And so from the earliest days, like, I tried to be very specific about how we could complement a group of other investors around the table and say, we can help you stand, we can help stand for the consumer and think about how you're building an experience that is going to meet the market that you want to go after. Um, and that's everything from kind of you know, a product, a pricing on a product, the delivery mechanism for it, the packaging around it. Um, I think early days, we spent a lot of time talking to people about sort of names <laughs> and how, you know, and, and what were kind of good go-to-markets um, and, and maybe how you built loyalty programs or membership programs. As you go through the years and you work with more and more companies, you know, you get the privilege, if you're interested, to sit there and really learn about how businesses get built. I think we have, you know, invested as a team at Forerunner over 90 companies. Um, you know, the, let's call 80% of them are consumer facing. A lot of them have some shared similarities. They're not delivering the same product or going after the same consumer with the same proposition, but there are some elements that are the same. And I think, you know, putting yourself in a position where you're always learning and gathering those and carrying those forward to people are helpful. Um, we try to kind of, you know, take that role of being research driven and thinking about where the market is going and weave that into how we talk about what the priorities or what the opportunities are or how to stand out in the market and be different. And that's obviously a collaborative exercise yeah. and I think that's one of the you know, the great privileges you get as being an early stage investor is really, you know, kind of being a consigliere or a, or a collaborator with the founder on their journey. Yeah. Um, so obviously over the years, uh, your firm has grown, your fund has grown, you're now um, $360 million in your fourth fund. So yeah. congratulations on that. Um, your partnership has grown as well. Uh, I assume along the way you recognized that you guys had a bit of a diversity gap, uh, no white men in the building. We did. And so you added Brian O'Malley. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm curious, you know, why why Brian, why he was, the, you know, I guess first backing up, why was it the time to add a, partnership, a partner to the team? How did you think about growing the partnership and, and then why Brian? Yeah. So um, I'll answer the question why Brian because it definitely deserves an answer, but I'm going to put it in the context sure. of building the team generally because it's something that I've actually, it's been a lot of fun to think about building Forerunner and how you set a team up to be successful. And um, I think we've had this mentality from the beginning. It's a startup mentality, which is your ambitions and your goals and the things you want to do outpace the resources that you have. And hopefully everything you do has some sort of exponential impact. And so w when we were hiring, we were thinking about that very much, which is like, 
how do we kind of you know fill the gaps and at the same time work together to make things better and maybe the first three were kind of like obvious in terms of like you know different levels yeah. but when we got to a fourth person we thought okay you know, maybe there are some unique things. We're spending a lot of time talking about the consumer side of it and marketing. So we hired somebody that could really help with marketing, and that felt like a good dynamic mix to what we were doing. They were come, they, Melissa came from the operating side, um, and then there were four of us around the table, and we kind of said, you know, we all have shared likes and opinions, but we're also all different, just in who we are as individuals. We are different ages. We grew up in different places in the country. We had different educations, but we were all women. And, um, and we thought it would be important to have a male voice at the table. And so that was the first time that we actually had a, a let's call it a gender lens on hiring. And it was a conscious effort to not just be a bunch of people that had so much in common or were all women in this case. So we hired, um, we hired uh, KJ and, um, and it was great. We got exactly what we wanted out of it. The conversation had a new dynamic. KJ brought a new perspective. We had somebody on our team who could fill in a void or a voice in the market that we were missing. But it felt a bit awkward having just one, you know? And so we really made a conscious effort then to like make another hire um, that was male. Um, but again, thinking like, could we get somebody that had a different profile and background? Um, and I think, you know, Yuri and I have tried to be that thoughtful about every team member. We weren't necessarily going to hire a partner, but Brian is somebody I've known since the earliest days of, or my first exposure to venture, when Brian was a, an associate at Battery Partners. So I think in some ways we got to grow up together. Um, and um, he was somebody I always liked and respected, and we had a good, um, we had an easy dialogue, one where you can, agree to disagree often enough, but like it always felt inspired by the conversations. And it was nice to have somebody that you felt that way working at another firm. And at some point along the way, I, I think you know it's his story to tell, but I think he was excited by the energy of what we were building. And for me, it was one of those rare moments to bring somebody into your partnership that you knew as well, that you felt like had the same priorities and integrity, and also really balanced our partnership. Yeah. So again, kind of going for that whole thing was like, okay, now we had, we had three women, then we added two men, and now we had a chance to bring in another senior male team member. Yeah. Um, we, we touched a moment ago on the idea that, you know, you started off with a go-to-market strategy of kind of the reinvention of retail and commerce. I know that your um, investing activities and the things you're excited about these days are much broader than that. Yep. So I'm curious, you know, where you're spending time, where you're excited, you know, where you think the consumer is today, and, and I guess how all of that early work has translated into what is now a much broader uh, investment platform. Yeah, okay, thanks for the question. So, I mean, I think as I was saying before, like we've really come from a place of holding the consumer at the center of things. And initially marrying that to the areas that I felt the most confident in or had the most experience in. Over time, you know, again, this is a learning job. You learn a lot more things and you follow that consumer and you follow them into new places. And I think that, you know, consumers have, there is a lot of good change that's happening by con on from the consumer's perspective. I think this moved like away, you know, fewer better things to rental things, to paying for experiences, to paying for services. There's a lot of change that's happened in our economy because of those uh, dynamics and expectations. And I think that like a lot of it has happened over here on kind of the free market consumer plays and not as much of it has happened in some of the areas that are kind of 
a heavier lift, or maybe we view them as like tax areas, so things where like on our education system, our healthcare system, that hasn't been as much innovation, and they certainly, those areas have been held back because of that. Yet the consumer who's participating across the spectrum of both of these things is very well formed and wants better things out of the other side. And you've seen that happen, like for instance, an informed consumer now, you know, looks at it's not healthcare as much as it's wellness. They've learned more about their own body. They've learned more about their own needs. They've started to say, my healthcare system is disappointing me, or it's maybe not going to be there for me in the way that I need it to. So I'm going to be more proactive about it. And that's expanded like a whole new category. That's you know, new products, new services, and a lot of new demands on the business side to a space that hasn't had a lot of those skill sets. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I think you can follow that through in a couple of other themes too. Yeah. One of the most challenging things that we think about it up front, and I'm sure we all in the room talked about recently, is kind of the challenge of kind of marketing to and acquiring consumers. It's gotten much less efficient, much less um, kind of predictable in terms of, of where you find your audience. And you know, it's not as easy as putting ads up on Facebook where yeah. it might have been seven years ago when Dollar yeah. Shave Club was coming up. So as you think across all of these categories and, and you know, largely with a focus on consumers, how much do you think about um, I guess the team's early ideas about where those customers are going to come from, how much data do you look for when you're making a seed stage bet in a consumer business, or how much of it is just intuition on your part about whether you think consumers will gravitate toward and find this product or service? I mean, there's some intuition, but not so much. A lot of it is kind of this research approach of thinking about like where's the consumer headed and what needs are being met and not being met. I think the question of marketing um, is, is that like, Marketing is one of the most dynamic areas of business in that it's always changing. And that I think that, you know, one of, one of the first questions, because we've been fortunate to work with a lot of companies that have been quite successful at marketing, we make a new investment, and one of the first questions we get is, you know, how did so-and-so do marketing, or how did so-and-so do marketing? And I was like, well, you know, here's the good news and the bad news is there's like no playbook. Like, you've got to make it up on your own. They made it up on their own, you can make it up on your own. I think at the end of the day, you have to have, like, the right you know, product market fit from what is going to be driving, like what someone's going to be paying for. And then you have to think about like being dynamic and showing up in all the different places in a way to describe that value proposition in a way that's authentic to those channels and be nimble as you move around. You know? So it, it kind of marries to the distribution question too, which is you know, there was a time period where people really thought, D to C. Like, I don't even use D to C or e-commerce anymore. I think it's just building a product business or building a retail business and having some technical skills or having a relationship with your customer and being able to use the data is table stakes. You need to do that. If you want to build a big business, you really need to think about, like, you know, where where can you meet your customer? You know, how many places can you meet your customer? And what are the unique ways you can show up there? It's not a world where you just sit back and say, everyone come to me on my terms. Business has to go out there and meet the customer. And the customers are in all the different places. So we've always had an attitude that like, at some point, as businesses scale, hopefully there's an opportunity for them to play across a lot of different channels from a distribution standpoint and from a marketing standpoint. At the same time, I think that there's this element of timeliness that is part of you know, probably everyone's investment decision. Um, and we are looking for opportunities where there is some inefficiency in the market or there is some nascent part of the market that they're gonna be able to exploit in some ways. And you, know, you could do that with Dollar Shave Club and Facebook in 2012. Like, you couldn't do that a few more years later. So you, know, you have to keep reinventing and creating new playbooks. Yeah. 
Um, we've touched a little bit on, on gender and, and kind of what the early um, team dynamics were at, at Forerunner, and uh, I'd be remiss not to ask you about your work with Allraise. I know that's something that's very important to you, and it's been a topic of conversation uh, at this event in years past, and, and um, I'd just be curious your thoughts on, since you've been involved in, in that organization and that movement, you know, kind of on the ground, what are you seeing in terms of output? Like, have things gotten better? Um, where are we at in that conversation? And, um, you know, what do we still need to see happen? I think things have gotten better. I know that you could probably look big picture at the numbers and put them in aggregate and be frustrated that they haven't moved enough. But rather than do that, I choose to kind of look, at, look and say, like, there are so many more women and so many more diverse people to do business with today in 2020 than there were in 2012. There's not enough, but there's a lot more. I think that, like, I certainly feel like I feel so fortunate to have an incredible group of women in this business, and forming All Raise together has really created a sense of bonding, which I think has been super powerful. And hopefully we're using it in really productive ways to lift each other up and help be best versions of ourselves. I don't think we want to live in silos. You know, so I don't think it's all about like there being a girls club. I mean, I want to work with you. I want to work with, we have a lot of male partners we work with, so that's not the point. But it is good to feel like you have friends in the business and people that will get your back. And it was nice to have that organization kind of form some foundation for that. Really importantly, beyond that, they've, you know, we've made a lot of effort to think about what are the specific areas where we can drive change, whether it's with getting um, female uh, founders feeling more comfortable pitching or more informed around pitching or more network to pitch, whether it's talking to LPs about the advantages of diverse teams and having them think about the importance of that in the decision-making room around investing and creating programs to shine a light on that. Um, and you know, really getting into the data and starting to show the results. The results, I think, you know, we're going to have more of them going forward, and I think they're going to tell a really compelling story that diverse teams at companies and diverse teams at investors like have better results. Then you get that exponential moment where you can have a one plus one plus one equal something more than three because it's just a more dynamic group and conversation. Um, so it's been, you know, there's a lot of more work to do, but it feels like a very constructive start and good energy. Right. Well, that feels like a great place to end. Uh, Kirsten, thank you so much for your time, and also congratulations on all the success thank of you. Forerunner. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.